This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, Keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. Who are you? It doesn't matter who we are. Yo, what's going on, people? You're now locked into another episode of the Disunomics podcast. I hope you've had a great week. This is the week of the Platy Jube celebration, so it was not really a bank holiday weekend because the days off were first and Friday, but I hope you enjoyed your four days off. I hope you were in the streets, meeting up with friends and family, having a good time. As I'm recording on Sunday, the weather ain't the greatest, so yeah, I hope you guys had a good, good time. Now, I'm not sure if any of you watched any of the Platy Jubes, as they call it, celebrations. I know I didn't. But we ain't talking about that on this week's pod. This week's pod, we are speaking on the monarchy, but more from a monetary perspective. Why does the monarchy have so much money? Why are they worth so much? Where did they get their money from? Who decided that? When did that change? And when did it change? When did the country change from, oh, the king runs everything to parliament? And are the governments, sorry, are the royal family a net negative or a net positive for the UK economy? But of course, I'd like to promote the previous episode um, and, our mid- and my midweek episode was with regards to the housing market, specifically with empty homes. For those who don't know, there's 87,000 plus empty homes in the UK. Why is that significant? What are the conditions of most of these homes? How can you benefit from this? Who are these people owning these homes? And why is it an issue and how we can stop it? So make sure you check out episode 256, a very, very good one. Of course, shout out season. Make sure you're following Shot and Chase. So I have episodes dropping every Thursday exclusively on Spotify, Money Thursday. Um, my episode this week was also a monarchy one, or last week, as you're listening to this, was on the monarchy. Uh, make sure you give them five stars on Spotify. And of course, if you're listening to Dysonomics, give it five stars on Apple or Spotify, whatever streaming platform you listen to. Subscribe and follow on YouTube, on um, yeah, YouTube for now. <laughs> Patreon, of course. Blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, we're going to get into episode 257, Long Live Lizzie, as we're going to talk about the monetary aspect of the monarchy with a young history lesson to boot. Let's go. Hi, guys. I'm XM, and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's lit. It's lit. Yo, what's going on, people? You're now listening to Dysonomics. I read stuff so you don't have to. That's my new slogan. I don't really like slogans. Um, just watching um, the King, Rafa Nadal, lift his 22nd Grand Slam title. Big up Rafa Nadal, my favourite tennis player ever. You don't know. But, yes, this week we've seen the Platy Jubes, is what the streets call it, the celebration of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee over 60 years in power as the Queen for England, as Vibes Cartel once said. Or was it Vibes Cartel on the chorus? I can't remember. Anyway, 
Who is Queen Lizzie? Well, Queen Elizabeth II was born on April the 21st, 1926. So in four years time, hopefully she makes it, she'll, make, she'll be a centurion in age, which is a great achievement. Um, she is the Queen of the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth. She's the head of the Commonwealth. And she was actually born in Mayfair, London. Come on, man, she's a classy babe. Um, she actually became queen at the tender age of 25. At 25, I was, I only been working in the city for a few years. I didn't really know much about nothing. And she's the queen of England at 25. After her father, King George VI, died in February 1952. And that reminds me, I need to watch The Crown this week. So that's just a quick brief background to our current head of the monarchy, the Queen Elizabeth II. She has uh, a son, um, um, Prince Charles, who is the heir to the throne, and he has kids, William and Harry, and we know about all them man there. Now, quickly on jewels. So there's a lot of debate about how much jewels have been stolen from the Commonwealth. But I thought, okay, let me look at two or three of the of the crown jewels, where, hey, um, and how much are they worth? What's their value? So one that you've probably seen is like a purple-looking um, crown called St. Edward's Crown. And this is the most important crown jewel of them all. St. Edward's Crown is only used at very special occasion. In fact, it's only used on one occasion. And that is the moment of crown in itself, the coronation, you get me? It's at is made with solid gold, which weighs about 2.23 kilograms, which is about five pounds of gold. And it is adorned with semi-precious stones and precious stones. 444 stones in total is used on this crown. Imagine that, 444 precious and precious, semi-precious and precious stones. Insane. So now, if we look at the value in today's economy, about five pounds worth of gold at a price of like 1.86,000 dollars per pound of gold, or ounce of gold, shall I say. Let me say that again. One ounce of gold is about 1,800 and dollars, right? So if you get in five pounds of gold, which is about 80 ounces, that is roughly around 148,000, dollars worth of gold on the crown alone. That's about 118 pounds, 656 pounds. The Queen's got six figures worth of... The Queen wore six figures worth of gold alone on her head, let alone the precious material. Now, in terms of the value, people valued the uh, precious metal at around $39 million. So this crown alone, I've seen I've seen valuations from as little as $3 million to $39 million. I saw somebody say it was worth billions on Twitter. I don't believe that. I ain't seen that. When was this? When was Saint Edward's crown originally made? Well, it was originally made by the coronation of Charles II to replace the medieval crown, which was actually melt down by parliamentarians in 1649 after King Charles I got clapped. He got executed. That's how they were getting rid of kings and queens. Sometimes you heard have to get chopped off. I don't know why I'm speaking in some fake patois. Maybe because I said the Queen for England. Um, <laughs> I actually listened to Clark's the other day. Amazing tune. Um, the last, so every time somebody becomes king or queen, that is when the St. Edward's crown is brought out and, show, and shows out for the coronation. Of course, it was last used to crown Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II in 1953. And we're probably within the next five to 10 years, and I don't like to foreshadow death, but just due to the queen's age, within the next decade, we're probably going to see the coronation of 
Prince Charles, unless something bad happens to him. Now, another interesting thing is called something called, not an interesting jewel, so, sorry, it's a sovereign scepter with a cross. And that's like the long star type thing like um, that is used, right? And this has been used at every coronation since Charles II in 1661. It was transformed in 1910, though, by George V, by the addition of the Cullinan, Cullinan Diamond. See, this Cullinan Diamond, which was found in South Africa, found, using inverted commas, um, has a diamond that is 530.2 carats. It is the largest colourless cut diamond in the world. The Cullinan Diamond, which was named after the guy involved, was discovered in 1905 in South Africa. Now they are saying, at 3,106 carats, the Cullinan Diamond remains the largest gem quality uncut diamond ever found. And they're saying that Charles spent £1,150 on this, which some people say, okay, cool, so that's not that much money for a real family. But that was spent in 1661. Now, if we bang in that figure on the Bank of England inflation calculator, that would be worth, in 2021, so it'd be worth even more now, that cost him the equivalent of £150,411.82 back then. Right? So big balling. £150, £150,000 stick basically now how long have we actually had a monarchy well the uk has had a monarchy for about a cool 1200 years dating back to the ninth century now it's quite interesting because i watched something called the last kingdom on netflix amazing it speaks to the times of the vikings being coming into the england and loads of like invasions and walls and 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 the UK was divided. So you had um, you had Scotland, you had Wales, you had Ireland, which is Ireland, and before there was Ireland and Repu before Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland were divided. So you had Ireland, Ireland, um, Ireland, which was one. You had Wales and Scotland. So let me scrap Ireland for now. So you had Wales and Scotland. Those were those were two kingdoms, five kingdoms. Then there was Wessex, which is um, like the main the main spot. Then there was Northumbria, which I think believed was the Midlands. And what's the other one? And there's Anglia, Northumbria, Anglia, and there's Mercia. No, Mercia was the Midlands, Northumbria was up north, Anglia, Wessex. Yeah, so you had the five kingdoms, right? And obviously back in that show, the aim of the game, and it was King Alfred, he had a vision for a united England where he will unite all the kingdoms, which, was, which is what we have now. Yeah, so random history mixed with Netflix commentary. So uh, I would recommend watch The Lost Kingdom. And I'm going to watch The Crown as well because The Crown is meant to be lit. Yeah. We now have a constitutional monarchy system whereby the monarch shares power with the constitutionally organised government, right? Which is what we know now. Now let's talk about the money aspect. We're going to talk about something called a civil list. And a civil list speaks to the money and how the royal family, the monarchy, gets his dirt, right? So something very important happened in 1760, the year 1760, by the way, which changed the game. The Civil List Act in 1760 was an act of the parliamentary of Great Britain upon the accession of George III. An accession is basically the event of a new sovereign taking a throne upon the death of a previous king or king, king or queen. So George II hit the bucket, and then in comes George III. This act transformed all civil list revenues, 
mainly customs exercise to the parliament. So these are the revenues obtained. Okay, let me tell you what civil list is first. A civil list is a list of individuals who money is paid by the government, typically for services to the state as an honorary... I'm sorry, let me start that again. A civil list is a list of individuals whom money is paid to by the government, typically for services state or as an honorary pension. It is a term occasionally associated, especially associated with the United Kingdom and with its former colonies of Canada, India, New Zealand and Singapore and many more. It was originally defined as expense, expenses supporting the monarch. Okay? So the expenses, so the cost of the monarchy. Right? So this act transformed all civil list revenues, all the money... Uh, mainly custom exercise to the parliament. So the parliament grabbed all the rev, yeah? All the cash. In 1760, King George III agreed with parliament that he was no longer to govern in person. Yeah, hey, listen. I know my dad before, it was a bit rough. There's a bit of debt in that. So do you know what I mean? I ain't gonna govern in person. You might hold that down. And therefore, he was no, he was no longer entitled to income from the crown estate, which for 700 years had always been used for administration of the state. So, so Parliament passes Act in, 19, in 1760. And this Act granted a fixed annual income from the civil list. So if we take in all the revenues obtained by, uh, from the, by the monarchy, from the crown estate, they get a fixed income of this, right? Cool. The resulting system required the annual state expenditure of the monarch to be signed by their treasury and presented to the House of Commons. Prior to abolition, the civil list was fixed at 7.9 million annually from the decades 2001 to 2010. The same amount as in 1991. In 2011, the civil list was raised to 13.7 million. But things changed, right? But I want to go back to the beginning of this, yeah? So in the last year of George II's reign, so we're going back to the 17, 1760 times, the civil list had been worth about 876,988 quid. Yeah, so under a million. But if we do the inflation calculate or go back to the Bank of England, that is the equivalent of £119 million today. So a lot of money. In, the, in return, the new king receives a civil list annually of £800,000, which is £112 million, Right? Cool. Under George II, the economy had grown and the revenues increased. The fixed amount George III received was actually a reduction of the civil list because obviously if he wasn't getting this fixed amount, he was getting the real tank, he'll be getting more. The previous arrangement had, if the previous arrangement was still in place, George III's civil list in 1777 would have been more than 1 million. In 1798, it would have been 1.8 million, right? The 800,000 pound agreed was soon found to be a bit inadequate. It was only calm before because George II had built up some savings worth about 17, no, 172,000 pounds, which is about 23 million, 24 million pounds today. And so obviously um, King George III was kind of like eating into this. By the end of the decade, the civil list was in arrears. He was in debts to, to about half a million to the, um, to the, and the king had to apply to parliament to pay it off, right? So the civil list was inadequate. 
Now, the Civil List Act, which was in, um, brought in in 1760, was actually repealed in 2011 for the Sovereign Grant Act in 2011. And that's what is in place today. The Sovereign Graft at 2011 is a payment which is paid annually to the monarch by the government to fund their official duties via Her Majesty's Treasury. This is paid as a percentage of the revenues gained from Crown Estate and the revenues in the final, and this, these are the revenues in the final year, two years earlier, financial year, two years earlier. So whatever the financial year is, two years prior, a percentage of the revenues of the Crown Estate is given to the monarchy on an annual basis. This is based at a percentage rate of 15%, and this is reviewed every five years by the royal trustees. So who are these royal trustees? That is the prime minister, the chancellor of the exchequer, and the keeper of the privy purse. So every five years, these three people review the sovereign grant and the percentage given. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. The Crown Estates which I mentioned before, you're thinking, okay, cool, to get getting revenues from Crown Estate. What the hell is a Crown Estate? The Crown Estate is a property business owned by the monarch, but is actually run independently. Amongst its holdings, there are Regent Street in London and the Ascot Racecourse in Berkshire. So you hear Royal Ascot. So that's um, part of the property owned by the Crown Estate. The Queen does not personally own anything in the Crown Estate. It merely belongs to the monarch during their reign. They cannot actually sell anything in the Crown Estate themselves. So the Queen can't just be like, okay, do you know what? I want to sell, do you know what I mean, um, uh, Ascot um, for a few bands and go call off in Hawaii. No. It belongs to you technically during your reign, but you don't actually own anything individually. Back to 1760, King George III reached an agreement with the government to surrender his income from the Crown Estate in return, he was agreed that his that the king and his successor will receive a fixed annual payment. So remember what so now we understand what the crown estate is. Now you understand what he swapped out for power, effectively. The Queen usually received 50% of the Crown Estate's profit in the sovereign grants, right? The total sovereign grant for 2020 to 2021 was £85.9 million. This is the money given to the monarchy by the government. So the government gave the monarchy, the royal family, a cool 85 M's, not almost 86 M's, a lot of money. This amounts to about 1.29 pounds per person in the UK per year. So as individuals, we are effectively giving the government one pound 29 each. Although that might not be anything to us on a yearly basis, imagine the rest of the country gave you one pound 29 each. You're gonna be eating very good. According to the official real website, the £85.9 million payment was made up of a core grant of £51.5 million, which funds the official travel, the property maintenance and the operating costs of the Queen's household, an additional, and an additional dedicated amount for resurfacing of £34.4 million. So that's where 
That's some of the breakdown of money. So this um, resurfacing is of 34.4 million pounds. This is got on the ongoing refurbishment of Buckingham Palace, which is a very big and monumental piece of property in the United Kingdom. Therefore, the core grant itself equates to 77 pence per person in the UK. Now, any unspent bread in a sovereign grant is put into a reserve fund. So just like a little rainy day fund, get me? Now, the level of the money received by the monarchy is actually protected by law from decreasing. My notes I wrote screaming. Imagine I want to read that back. As a result of falling crown estate revenues. So if the crown estate revenues were to drop, the money received by the monarchy won't drop because it's protected by law. Yeah? A nice deal from the mandem. Since the inception of the sovereign grant, it has been actually rising each year at a rate higher than the rate of inflation. So it must be nice because whereas um, a video I dropped on, on Instagram, a reel talking about what's happened to our wages, and I've dropped a podcast on this as well. When I speak on how our wages are actually dropping in terms of full-time, so full-time, people who work full-time seeing their wages drop by 0.6% in 2021. So we are minus 9.6% down if we take into account inflation, the inflation swing. Sovereign grant, the monarchy, they're eating even more than inflation. They don't even need the money. Must be nice. So let's look at the sovereign grant over the years. I'm going to start in 2012. So in the year 2012, 2013, they got 31 million pounds. 2013, 2014, they got 36.1 million pounds. That was an increase of 16.5%. 2014, 2015, they got 37.9 million pounds. That was an increase of 5% from the previous year. 2015 to 2016, they got 40 million pounds, which is a 5.5% increase on the previous year. 2016 to 2017, they got £42.8 million, a 7% increase. 17 to 18, they got £76 million, a 77.8% increase. That's when it really jumped up significantly. 18 to 19, they got £82.2 million, an 8% increase. 19 to 20, they got £82.4 million, a 0% increase, maybe... I mean, coronavirus. 2020 to 2021, they got 4.2% increase. And 2021 to 2022, they got a 0.5% increase. So that's, so imagine from the year 2012 to 2013, so just a year after the sovereign grant was introduced, a year or two after, the, the monarchy received 31 million quid. Within what, nine years? That almost tripled to 86 million pounds. Must be nice. Now, the Queen of England and the Prince of Wales, which is Prince Charles, also received private income through the Duchy of Lancaster and the Duchy of Cornwall. So when we look at the Duchy of Lancaster and that, that covers about 18,000 hectares of land. It includes areas such as Lancashire and Yorkshire, as well as property in central London. The sovereign grant only accounts for part of the total cost of running the monarchy. So... The total cost running a monarchy is not just from the sovereign grant. The sovereign grant does not actually cover the cost of the police and the military security and the armed forces on ceremonial duties, nor does it cover the cost of royal ceremonies or local government costs for royal visits. 
Now, speaking about security specifically, because of course you need security. I remember when Meghan Prince Harry said that their security details been removed from the royal family, which was a bit peak. Security, the security cost isn't covered by the sovereign grant. This is usually paid for by the Met Police. Therefore, according to the Republic, an organisation that campaigns for the Republic argues that the yearly cost of monarchy is actually several, several times higher than the sovereign fund. They argue that the estimate cost of the monarchy is closer to £345 million. Make of that what you will. The Queen also receives private income from the Queen Privy Purse. Remember, there's somebody who monitors um, the Privy Purse in the Royal Committee, or what do they call them people again? Hold on, let me find it up here. Oh, the Royal Trustees. So that was a Prime Minister, the Chancellor, and the Keeper of the Royal Privy Purse, yeah? So back to the Privy Purse. The Queen also received private income from the Privy Purse, which is passed down from monarch to monarch, and has an income through properties such as the Sandringham and Balmoral, which she owns personally. So those are properties that the Queen for England owns personally. Now, let's... Okay, cool. So we know about the jewels that they got in their heads and their wrists and that. Oh, I remember the Queen once was wearing a bust-down Patek. And what was interesting that is this Patek... This is factory diamonds. This is not no. She didn't go to a jewelers to get to get this shit pattern. So we know about the the, the the jewels from the royal family. We know how the royal family used to run things, and now they swapped power with the government, which we're going to get into in a bit later. Um, and we also know about the civil list and how they agreed to get a fixed amount of money, and we know how that changed in the southern grant. Now, if we're looking at economically, are they a net positive or a net negative? to the economy. Well, according to a report from Brand Finance, who value brands in 2017, they estimate the value of the monarchy itself as if it was a branded business to, to be the total value of £67 billion. They argue that the British royal family generates substantial uplift to the UK economy with financial benefits to the taxpayer at a surprisingly low cost. We estimate the overall uplift to the sector is a staggering 550 million, making the contribution to tourism the largest of benefits generated by the monarchy. So the monarchy generates half a billion worth of tourism. Another key benefit to UK economy is delivered by the monarchy through trade and international relations, with an estimated annual contribution of 150 million quid. The economic benefits come at a very low expense for a British nation, equal to £4.50 per person per year, or just 1p a day. So they're saying, listen, the value in the brand of the royal family is bringing in so much money, it's actually only costing us £4.50 to drop these benefits. Hard to argue against that. According to ABC Finance, events like the royal weddings and births contribute hugely to our economy. The total spend for William and Kate's wedding, whether I pretend that Kate had a nyash like flipping uh, prime Beyonce, was around £24 million. 90% of the total spend, which is 22 million, was actually on security. Mental. Compare this to the economic benefit of £171 million, pounds, plus free marketing for the UK worth a billion pounds. They also had the economic impact of the, of the birth of the daughter Charlotte was 100 million quid. So this is a very interesting argument. The monarchy brings in a lot of money to the UK people. But some will argue is that, okay, cool, they bring in money, but we have a massive service industry. Do we need them bringing in money like that? At the end of the day, when you deep it, 
these are people by due by birthright are just eating lavishly. They're not ruling or anything. So, boy, I'm not a fan of the money here. I'm not gonna lie, but that's probably a political conversation for another day, which I'll get into. So, how the power to wrap up? How the power actually initially move to Parliament from the monarchy? Because f- for those who don't remember history, who haven't watched a lot of TV shows, like basically the kings used to rule. It'll be the king or the queen. They will say what goes. And along with the along with religion, the Church of England, blah, 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 they will rule the country. But as you know now, the Queen doesn't rule nothing. It's the government, right? Parliament. Now, this could be tracked back to something called the Glorious Revolution. The Glorious Revolution refers to events of 1688 to 89. And this saw King James II of England deposed and succeeded by one of his daughters and her husband. James overt Roman Catholic Catholicism um, and his suspension of the legal rights of, of the centres and the birth of a Catholic heir to the throne raised discontent amongst many, particularly non-Catholics. This op- they oppo- the opposition leaders invited William, William of Orange, a Protestant who was married to James' daughter Mary, also Protestant, to effect invade England. James support dwindled and then he fled to France. William and Mary were then crowned joint rulers, yeah? The Glorious Revolution from 1688 to 89 in England stemmed from religious and political conflicts. As I said, King James II was Catholic. His religion and his actual rooted in it put him at odds with the non-Catholic population and others. Many tolerated him thinking the throne would eventually pass down to his eldest child, Mary, who was a Protestant. This view changed with the birth of James' son, and obviously that sped things up. Do you get me? The Glorious Revolution permanently established Parliament as the ruling power of England, and later the United Kingdom, representing a shift from absolute monarchy to a constitutional monarchy, which I mentioned before. The UK is a constitutional monarchy. William III and Mary II were crowned, and they swore to govern according to the laws of Parliament, not not the laws of the monarchy. A Bill of Rights um, promulgated promulgated later that year based on a declaration of rights accepted by William and Mary when they were crowned. So this is really when we see Parliament kind of obtain power, rule in power, and that is how things change. And then when you then you fast forward about 100 years to 1760 when the Civil List Act um, 1760, that was effectively the end of things where, boy... Do you know what I mean? It became, yo, as the monarch, we're effectively mascots now. So yeah, now we know about Queen Elizabeth's background. She, she arose to queendom at the age of 25 in the 1950s, 1952 to be precise. We know the biggest crown jewel is um, Sir, I mean, Saint, Saint Edward's crown, which is worth millions and millions and millions of pounds. And that only comes out when somebody's been crowned king or queen. We know about the civil list and the sovereign grants and the crown estates, which is how the queen and others obtain money. And we have a decent look outlook on the analysis, the economic analysis that effectively the government, I mean, the monarchy bringing money to the UK. They're net positive economically, but philosophically and morally, is a bit spooky. So yeah, there you have it for this week's pod on the monarchy and the economic impact 
I hope you've enjoyed. Hope you tell a friend to tell a friend. And stay tuned for next week's episode dropping Thursday at midnight. Until then, peace and blessings. Bow. Sports Social Podcast Network.